Hallelujah. We're in chapter 19 tonight, and uh, we're progressing through the book of Revelation that the Lord, he, he promises that he would bless in chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. It says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written in it for the time is near. And that was written not quite 2,000 years ago. So the time is really near. It's much more near than it was when John wrote those words in about 90, 90 AD. So it's awesome to uh, look at these words and see how they're being uh, highlighted and, and um, more uh, coming into focus in our time, in our day and age. And I think that's the, the amazing thing about the book of Revelation, how relevant it is today. And, you know, there's some people that are scared of this book, but it's really, it's, it's um, you know, the ultimate thing here, it's not a revelation about the Antichrist. The first chapter, it says in chapter one, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter one, verse one, which God gave him. So God gave this to Jesus Christ to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it uh, by the angel to his servant, John. So this is a re actually a revelation of Jesus Christ, and today we're, we're in, in this study, or tonight in this study, I think it comes to a really a high point here, where, you know, we, we're all believers in Christ, and I hope everybody who's watching on the, um, you know, who, the broadcast are believers, and um, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we became part of a kingdom. And it yes. says in the book of Hebrews that it says that we, at this point, we don't see all things put in subjection under Christ. So we're taking this in faith as we see, in fact, the world and we're, you know, distressed over the news that we see and we can't believe stuff we hear. And it's just, it's chaotic, you know, and, and the world is just, you know, in decline. And um, we're not really seeing the Lordship of Jesus Christ as we would like to see it right now. But the thing is, we receive it by faith. And this is the... This is like showing you the end of the movie, how this thing wraps up. You know, and you go, you I watch, yeah, you watch, <laughs> a, you watch any movie and, you know, there's normally, um, it starts off really good and then you go into some trouble and then it, it doubles down in the trouble and then it looks like, oh no, it's, it's all going to fall apart. And then at the very end, a lot of times it just kind of pulls it out, pulls it out of the fire and it ends up, oh, look, it's victory. And so we're kind of at that part where it looks like it's, 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 it's a, you know, it's a wash, it's a mess, it's, it's, a, it's not going to happen. But in reality, if we have already got to see the end of the movie, and we know how it wraps up, you know, that's, that's majorly to our advantage, and that's what the book of Revelation is. So regardless of what, you know, the world thinks, or what people think, we know that Jesus wins. He won already, and we're part of that victory. He's, he's conferred that victory to us. And so let's just uh, go to chapter 19 and look at this. Um, first thing in chapter 19, verse 1, it says, after these things. You remember that what that word is in the Greek? I've, I've kind of went over that many times. Uh, it's, uh, the, the word in Greek is metatauta. It's after these things. So it's an important word because if we look in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, he was, he was telling John, and, and the reason why I go over this so often because I believe it's important for us as we look at this, I believe in chapter 4, or, or actually even before that, the Lord told um, John, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. And the things which take place after these things is starting from chapter 6, where the seals, or, or actually chapter 4, he says, after these things in chapter 4, boom, he was, he was up in heaven, he heard a voice like a trumpet says, come up here. I believe that's where the rapture takes place. There's no other place in, the, in this book where you could fit that in there with, uh, without great difficulty. You know, there's many different views on the rapture of the church. But I believe that if you follow that pattern and the progression through the book, where it's, it's, it's chronological. There's parenthetical chapters like this is chapter 18, 17, and eight, uh, 18 and 19 are parenthetical chapters. They're things that were uh, added in for detail, but there's a progression. 
So when you see that after these things, you know that we're moving along in a narrative, you know, so that because, you know, you could say, well, some people say, oh, we're in we're in we're in the seals already or, or we're in this this judgment already. And you hear that from people. Oh, we're in we're already in the, the plagues of, of Revelation chapter six. No, we're not. We're, we're not there. This is all the beginnings of troubles right now. We're not into the tribulation period yet. And, and that's why it's important to understand how this thing progresses. And so right now. This is taking place at the end of the tribulation period. This is taking place at the end of the 21 judgments that came down. There was the seal judgments, there was the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. This is all that's been laid out, and this is what's happened since then. We studied in chapter 18, we looked at the destruction of Babylon. We looked at the first 17 was the mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon was a spiritual a spiritual babylon it was it was a um it was a hidden truth it was a spiritual thing and that was dealt with and then chapter uh, 18 we got to uh literal babylon it's the literal babylon you know and th as you look at that you know uh, i used to think to myself well it's kind of like a, a a concept or babylon is a concept it's it's like greed and it's it's um you know, it's, it's uh, covetousness and all these things are going to be judged. And in effect it is, but there's also an element of that, of Babylon, that is actual, physical, real, rebuilt Babylon. If we believe in the fact that Jews would be brought back into their land in the last days, which was, a, was trouble for a lot of people who interpret scriptures before, they didn't see Israel in the land. They hadn't been in the land for 1900 years. And so they're like, oh, well, we become, the church becomes spiritual Israel. We inherit those things and we allegorize the word of God instead of taking it literally. As much as you can, you should take the Bible literally. And so when we get to Babylon, when it says, I'm going to destroy Babylon, it's, it's, uh, and then it lists all these tangible things, goods, and all the people, the merchants got wealthy over this thing then it's an actual place that's going to be destroyed and its destruction will come in one hour and the, the smoke of its torment will go up. It'll rise up. You know, we were just watching before the Bible study. We were looking at that blast that took place in Lebanon and it's just one, you know, portion of that. But can you imagine a whole city going up in smoke in one hour? That would be a, a frightening sight. And that's what just happened here. And so that, that's the events that just took place. Um, uh, uh, mystery Babylon, the spiritual Babylon was judged finally. It says the blood of the martyrs are sought, and there was a, it was a vile uh, religious fraud. And then we have the, the greed and the avarice and just uh, lust of the flesh and everything in literal Babylon and all that represents being destroyed. And then we come to chapter 19. That's the context of it. So we're at the very uh, end of the wrath of God being poured out. And um, this is what's going on. So we'll read this chapter here. It says, After these things I heard a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For the true and righteous are his judgments because he indeed judged the harlot who corrupted the earth. And... Uh, So this is, you know, looking an uh, image of the two Babylons. You see, you know, this one, the city, and then the spiritual thing over here. And it says, uh, because she has, uh, verse 2, it says, For the true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed, shed by her. And so um, this is an image of that. You have the two Babylons that actually here. You have... The woman riding the beast, and you have some religious symbols over there, and you also have the symbols of commerce over here, and just these mystery religions that are going on that are driving this whole thing. And this is what God is hating. He hates this because this has usurped his authority on the earth. You remember how uh, we talked about last week when, when God uh, told them after the flood, he says, be uh, multiply and, and fill the earth. And they just stayed in one city under the direction of um, Nimrod, who was a type of the Antichrist. So this world, this figure comes up and he says, no, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do, we're going to build this tower. 
and we're going to make a name for us. And in case God decides to judge the earth by flood, we're going to be able to escape it. We'll go up into this tower, is what he did. He, his name, Nimrod, Nimrod means uh, a rebel. He was a rebel against God. So he was going against what God wanted him to do. He built this tower, and he set the tone. And um, the reason why God is going to judge Babylon, which will be rebuilt in, actually, Iraq. The reason why he's judging it, because every abominable... Um, uh, idolatrous thing emanated from that part of the world. So God is going to judge uh, literal Babylon at some point in the future. It, I believe, you know, we talked about that a little bit. Maybe after this revelation study, I can talk about the theory that I have behind that, why and where and how that would take place. Um, so this is, you know, just sort of what's going on there. Here's a picture of the grandeur of, of Babylon, you know, the Tower of Babel. Nobody knows what it really looked like, but we know that Babylon was a really impressive city like i said the hanging gardens of babylon were one of the seven wonders of the world it was really impressive city um huge um here's the people you know they're crying out and uh verse three it says Alle and again they said alleluia uh the smoke rises forever and ever and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped god who sat on the throne saying amen alleluia and the voice came to the, from the throat saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And he heard, as it were, the voices of great multitude, as the sound of uh, many waters, and the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So there's four Alleluias there. Do you realize, I just found this out today. This is the only place in the New Testament where Alleluia is, is these four times. Really? Only four times in the New Testament it says Alleluia. I mean, we say that all the all all time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This New is the Testament only place in the New Testament these four times where it says Alleluia that it's wow. contained. I thought that was pretty amazing. Yes. Yeah. I know. It, it doesn't sound right, but it's true. I looked it up. I looked it only. How's that? No, this is the only place in the Bible in the New Testament where the name, where the word Alleluia is. <laughs> Four times in this chapter of Revelation. I know it sounds weird, but I looked it up. Praise him, right? Well, this is what Alleluia means. I wrote it down. It means <laughs> praise ye Jah or Yehovah or Jah. It says adoring exclamation. And then I went into the Hebrew because, you know, there just wasn't much in the Greek about that. So it seems like it's more of a Hebrew thing, right? You remember what I told you? The Jew, this Bible is written in a form. Once you get out of the first three chapters it really goes over into a jewish form it's right. it's really more in jewish idioms and J jewish terms so i think that's interesting that this word alleluia is being used here it says used a lot in the psalms but it goes uh four times alleluia praise praise Yijah, adoring exclamation hebrew halal that's the other word in hebrew it's called halal and it says to be clear to shine to make a show to boast to be clamorously foolish, to rave, to celebrate, to give uh, given marriage, sing, to be worthy of praise, a rage, renown, and shine. So it's it's an amazing thing. You know, I mean, we, we always say that. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But this is the only place in the New Testament that it's 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 spoken about. Trippy, huh? Yeah. Um, so, so hallelujah and hallelujah. It's, it, it says that, it, that when you use Alleluia without the H, yeah. it's a wrong translation. It should be with an H. It should have an H. Yeah, that's what I read about it. So, um, but yeah. this would just A. I, I have an A with mine, Alleluia. I have a New so King wow. James Testament, but it says, I read in the Strong's Concordance, it says it should contain an H on there. Or, or no, was it Strong's or Vines I was reading about it? It should contain an H. Uh, uh, just with an A, it's a mistranslation or not a right. Yeah, that's what they claim anyway. I'm not an expert on that. Huh. wonder why they did that. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, so here's, you know, some picture of, you know, potential of a city being destroyed by God. You know, it says its destruction will come in one hour. And just, you know, could it be a meteor strike? Could it be something, you know, that huge that just takes it out, takes all that? You know, naturally, that looks sort of like, well, that looks like Chicago. That's Chicago. Uh, but a major city being taken out by a, a meteor strike. And then here is the 24 elders, uh, you know, laying down. And, and we know from chapter, 
5, this is the scene in heaven. The 24 elders are representative of those who are redeemed from the earth, primarily the church. This is, the, this is representative of the church, the 24 elders. And um, they're so overcome, and they're so, you know, it's so glorious that finally the, 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 dom, the, the um, kingdom that, that everybody's been waiting for, it's going to be passed on. It's going to be transitioned into Christ where he's going to be the king. The 24 elders, we, we get that from, I believe it's chapter 5. And we, you know, we looked at that and they, they, it's self-explanatory in there. Um, it, it says that they are those who are redeemed from the earth. And so we know that, that that's not angels, right? So the el elders are not angels and they were um, redeemed from the earth. Oh, where's the exact well, I was thinking if that was the 12, you know, the 12 the Old Testament, 12 of the New. No. It, seems, it seems that it's, it's exclusive to the New Testament. Okay. It's, it's Christian. It's, it's those who are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Um, there's going to be something that's going to come up later that it is the, the uh, amalgamation of the two, the, the, the Jews as well as Gentiles. But the 24 elders are representative of the church in heaven. So this, you know, when did these people get there? Well, they got there at chapter four, and um, so us, the rapture, the yeah, rapture people, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay, um, go back. I just wanted to clear. Well, let me just read this real quick so you can just get a context. This is in chapter five of Revelation. It says, "Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, which are called the Zuin, those are the creatures that are before, and the twenty-four elders." Uh, fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowls of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, to open the seals, for you were slain, and you have uh, redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. And they've made us kings and priests. The only people that are called kings and priests are the church. Jesus and Melchizedek. So we have a unique place. We're called kings and priests. So we're, it's Christ is a king priest. Yeah. You, you remember he was, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he atoned for us as the priest, but he's, he's going to reign as a king. Even at his birth, they gave him frankincense, which was for his birth, or his death and, and uh, burial and his atonement for us, as well as gold, which is reminiscent of his kingship. So we're a nation of kings and priests. And it says, you made us kings and priests. To our God and we shall reign on the earth and so this is the beginning of this what we're reading right now so these things have been proclaimed from the beginning of this book but now it's coming into action seven years later boom it's gonna happen now and so these they're, they're just so overcome so this hallelujah hallelujah all this multiple four times hallelujah and the reason why they're giving an hallelujah because the thing that was uh, the systems that were rivaling God taking dominion the false religious system the economic system, the worship of stuff, it's, it's destroyed. And now Jesus is coming in to take his preeminence at this point. And it says, um, Hallelujah. <laughs> so that's good news. All right. So Jesus is being exalted in heaven. There's multitudes. It, says it sounded like the sound of many waters, the sound, verse 6. The sound of thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God, God omnipotent, which means all-powerful, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, verse 7. Give glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. So this is what we're talking about. This is very amazing. This is, this is good news, man. So you, you know the, um, the story of the Jewish wedding feast, huh? and... Um, you know, this is uh, uh, a story that the, that the Jews knew well. They said, you know, it, like when Jesus was or when Joseph and Mary uh, were to come together and they were going to get married, they had a betrothal. So there's there's a contract that's signed between the families and the uh, the, the bride, the bridegroom says, OK, I you are my wife. You are betrothed to me, but I'm going to go home and I'm going to make a house for you in my father's place. And then I'll come back. I'm not tell, you don't know when, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to grab you as my bride. So this is, the, this is the illustration. It's really, really cool. And so he goes back and there's an undisclosed amount of time. Nobody knows how long that's going to take. And as Jesus said, um, don't be dismayed. I'm going away, but I'm coming back. 
in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. So that's chapter 14 in the Gospel of John. And so he's giving us the same thing. He, even in the, the time where he had the Last Supper, he was taking those cups because there would be a drinking of wine to seal the deal, to seal the covenant. And that's what he was doing with his disciples on that. And Henry Maturita did that for us. He, was, he, he talked about that during the Passover thing. And so that deal has been consummated or it's been, it's been sealed, the contract. Now, in the meantime, the bride-to-be uh, is to be saying, I'm technically married already. So that means she's not to be converting with the world. She's not to be going out and looking for a boyfriend or getting involved with something that would be scandalous. And that's why when Mary was found to be with a child, and, and Joseph was a, was a good man, and he goes, man, I don't want to disgrace her, but she violated the contract, man. She, I'm going I'm to put her away secretly because in reality, if she violated that, she could be stoned to death because she was an adulterer, uh, adulteress. And so he was a just man. He says, I'll just put her away uh, quietly so nobody, you know, she doesn't have the repercussions of this. But the point of that was we are like Mary. We're betrothed to the Lord right now. We're, we're um, engaged to him. And we're not to be found cavorting or committing adultery with the world, you know. And so um, we know the story with Joseph the angel said, this thing, this child was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Marry your, your bride. Go ahead and do this. And we know, you know, the, the rest of the story. But the illustration is there. And so if it was a betrothal period, the, the uh, woman is waiting on her, uh, her um, fiancé to come. It says normally at midnight at the, bride's, at the bride's home, they would gather up like a procession with instruments and it would be real joyful and they have torches and they would start coming out from his town and walking the roads down to the bride's house and it would just be a joyful celebration. And the bride kind of knew, okay, I know it's kind of getting close, you know, you know it's a, so she should be ready. She shouldn't be caught off guard with this. And then boom, they come in and then he takes, he takes his bride back to his place and there's a wedding ceremony at that point. There's a major feast at that point. And then they go into the uh, wedding chamber for seven, seven days. They go into the, it's called the hoopah, or the place where they, he made for a house for seven days to consummate the marriage. So you see the illustration of this. You know, it's just full on, you know, you can't miss the point of this. Uh, but I think because a lot of the church in past history, they pulled away from the Jewishness of this word. You know, you don't get that richness of it. But if you study it, you hear these things, and you're like, wow, that makes perfect yeah, sense. Terry Stone does a really good illustration of right? this one. Yeah. yeah, so this is the scene in heaven. You know, we're, when, when we get up to heaven, one of the things that's going to take place is the, the Bema seat, where we're going to re receive rewards. It's in Corinthians. It talks about that. Whether, with the things that we've done in our body, I think it's in chapter 5, you know, of... of uh, is it first or second um, Corinthians? Um, here it is. Chapter 5 in second Corinthians. It says, For we know that if our earthly house, this is our tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a, ha a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Anybody feel that way? <laughs> when your body is all sore, you're groaning like, Oh, I can't wait for my heavenly body. <laughs> yeah. yeah? It says, for we who are in this tent, we call our, our body, you know, just like how the tabernacle was a tent. It was like God wanted it to be mobile so he could, he could move with us. He, he was, like, pick up this tent, we're going, and we go. And then they said, we want a, we want a temple, and they built it in stone. But he, call, he, he uh, compares this body to a tent because it's mobile. You know, we're moving, right? And it's not, it's not permanent. For we are in this tent, grown, being burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up in life. Now he has prepared us for this very thing, is God who has also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, so that we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether to be present or absent, to be well pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men that we are well known to God and are also trust that you are well known in your conscience. And so, you know, it's talking about that thing that right now, um, he, he calls it the terror of the Lord because it's not about salvation. In another portion of Corinthians, it talks about we're not, we're not going to lose our salvation if we're truly in Christ. 
but we will be rewarded for those things that we have done. Thank yeah. you, Lord. Yeah, so it, it's about receiving rewards at this Bema seat. And so that's one of the things that is happening. This is in, um, this is 2 Corinthians 5. And there's also more about that. Um, yeah, there's another, there's another good scripture. Um, I'll talk, I'll share it with you later, Jeff, uh, about, you know, the Bema seat and, and receiving rewards for, for our service to the Lord here at this time. Um, so here we are, you know, and this is the two things that are, or the thing that's going, Revelation uh, 19, Jesus, the new Jerusalem, you know, that we're, the bride is going to be, is, it's actually kind of cryptic there. And we'll get into that in a later chapter where he says, let me show you the bride. And he shows him the city, you know, and it's like, well, I thought we were the bride. And so it's kind of, it's a little, it can be a little confusing, but I believe that it's, it's like the, the place where Christ prepared for us as a habitation but it's inhabited with all those people all the saints so in fact it is you know it is a bride it's it's just a a, a sterile city without the people that inhabit it which it would make up his bride you know so it's got, and the bride is composed of both Jews and Gentiles and anybody who was saved throughout the eons of time so it's kind of interesting but the marriage supper you know this is a cool thing uh, let's uh, and give glory. Uh, so verse 7, let me read this down to the end of this, this thought. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true saints of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, you know, these revelations have been given to John. And he's just so overwhelmed with it that he falls down at the feet of this person. Apparently, you know, you think that that's a servant. It's an angel. That he was also a servant of the Lord, and he was redeemed himself. So it's a it's a member of the church that preceded John into heaven. You know, it's it's like a saint that's giving him this tour of heaven. And so um, this is that story what I was telling you about the the uh, wedding. You know, the wedding guest. And uh, this one is more reminiscent of the ten virgins. You know, they're they're there and they're waiting on the bridegroom to come, and they all slumbered and slept, and their their lamp started going out. You know, so they were like, um, Jesus came and they, they weren't expecting him. And five of them didn't have enough oil. They, they went to sleep and the bridegroom came and then the other ones came in. Wow, what happened? He says, well, you know, you didn't, you didn't have enough oil to endure that, that late hour. So that's kind of, uh, kind of in the same vein, but a little different. Uh, look at this, you know, can you imagine the uh, banquet hall that the <laughs> Lord is going to have, you know? I mean, my wife, you know, she does weddings and, you know, sets up for weddings and has done, you know, we, we did our, um, what was the party for Wesley and Rachel that you did? The, uh, uh, the rehearsal dinner. The rehearsal dinner when we were living up in uh, Avalao and it was amazing. It was beautiful. And can you imagine what the Lord would do, do at something like that? And um, I, I just, I imagine, you know, just massive amounts of tables because there's going to be so many people there. You know, and then one of the things that um, the first thing that Jesus did, the first miracle he did was what? Water to wine. At a wedding, right? Uh, At a right. wedding. So it's a, a wedding is a joyful event. You know, it's a really happy thing. And they ran out of wine, and he says, "Take those six jars over there and fill them up with water." And it had twenty to thirty gallons. If it's it's. Um, 180 gallons of wow. wine that's a lot of wine man. but they said these parties would last a long time you know they would just go on and on and then we all know that he said you know most people they they put out the the best wine at the start when everybody's you know and then once they start drinking and they feel good they bring out the inferior wine but it's like wow you brought out the best wine at the last and it's reminiscent of this you know this this good thing that's coming you know the, the good thing that's coming but i find it interesting that that was the first miracle that he performed was turning water into wine and the last thing one of the last things he said it was in mark 14 25 it says assuredly i say to you 14 20 i will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day 
when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So at this event, at this, this wedding feast, the Lord's going to drink wine with his church, with his bride, and with the saints that were redeemed from the earth. It's going to be awesome, man. I just, it's, it's beyond, I think, our com comprehension. I mean, if people can put on something like this, can you imagine what God can do? Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, the best wine, too. Yeah. And this is the person, you know, the Lord bidding us to come. You know, don't miss this. Make sure you come, man. The invitation went out there. I was thinking about that even in an earthly wedding. In months in advance, months in advance of a wedding, you get the, the invitation from the, the couple and it says, save this date, save this date, put it on your calendar, you know, make sure that you're available on this date, months and months in advance, right? The Lord has told us that, save this date, make sure you don't miss it, you don't want to miss this thing, it's going to be awesome. And we know the story in the Bible, um, I think it was Luke, let me, let me look at Luke 14, I think. Yeah, Luke 14. Um, there's a lot of stories about weddings in there, you know. Um, th there's very little in the book of Revelation about this wedding event, the marriage of the Lamb. There, it's just a few, uh, a few um, um, lines in here, but there's throughout the Bible, you can find hints and clues of what he's talking about here. And um, let's see, Luke 14. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, let me just read this. Luke 14, verse 15. It says, Now, one of those that sat at the table, they have heard these things. He said to them, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he said to them, A certain man gave a great supper, invited many. And he sent his servant to supper time, saying to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of, of ground and I must go see it and I'll ask me to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. And he said, have me excused. Still another said, I have uh, married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master and the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go in quickly into the streets, in the lanes and in the, um, bring in here the poor the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said to his master, It is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come, and this my house may be filled. For I say to you, those, th those who are invited shall not taste my supper. I was like, whoa. So we don't want to ignore this. We don't want to say, oh, I got more things going on. You know, I heard J.D. Farage talking about this. And he was talking about, you know, in this age, if we're talking about the wrap up of history as we know it and the coming of the tribulation period and some of the youth, you, you kind of feel for them because they're like, man, I didn't have a chance to to get married. I didn't have kids. I didn't build my house, all these things. And they're lamenting those. And, and yet there is a generation where that is a reality. But he says, all I can say is I try to communicate the reality of whatever you're abrogating here. It's going to be so much more glorious in heaven. Don't lament this. Don't be bummed out about that. You should look at it as like, wow, I get to be the generation that, that will see, that doesn't see death and just gets translated up into this and, and to see the Lord and all these great things. You know, we have to focus, like I said, that's why keeping your eyes on the Lord and retaining the proper perspective. It says when these things begin to happen, lift up your heads, look up because your redemption draws nigh. J.D. Farage said last week on his update, he says, I think the reason why things, we, God is allowing things, to, the wheels to fall off on things is so our being enamored with the things of the world is kind of losing its shine right now. It's like, man, I can't even go out and watch a movie anymore, even though the movies were terrible to begin with, but you can't go watch a movie. You can't, you, you got to shop, you got to put a mask on. It's just like, I'm, I'm done with this place. I'm over it. You know what I mean? And so our eyes would be more on the Lord. I, I want out of here, Lord. You know, and I want people to come with us. You know, so that, that might be what God is doing there right now. And so, uh, here's another picture. The bride has made herself uh, ready. You know, the Bible says much about the, the garments, the wedding garments. You know, there's another story. And that one's a little hard to, to decipher. I, I heard Perry Stone talk about that one. You remember the one where 
um, he, it's sort of the same story that we just read, but the, the master, the, the, we, the, the wedding master comes in and he looks and he goes, um, he gave everybody a wedding garment to have on in the thing. And then he looked and he goes, whoa, how did you get up in here without a wedding garment on? And he says, take him and bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. I was like, whoa, it's kind of shocking, you know, when you hear that. And um, Perry Stone tried to discern that. I don't know whether this is accurate or not, but he said it could be that somebody who is holding to the law somehow made it up there and, and saw this grandeur, saw the glory of Jesus Christ and was so hard-hearted about it that he says, no, I don't want, I, I, I can stand here on my own good works because, and, and he says, no way, this is all about, you're robed in the righteousness of Christ. This ain't about what you've done and, and didn't accept the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus upon him. And he says, you know, it's, it's illustrative of that. I don't know whether that's accurate or not. It sounded pretty good of a, of a potential, but I'm not sure. Um, but the wedding garment is very important. You know, in, in uh, several parts of the scripture, um, in Revelation, um, I'm going to read these. It's pretty interesting, pretty important. You know, the, the, the book of Revelation, the first three chapters, or two, cha two and three, are almost like a report card. Or it's telling us, this is what I'm looking for from you, church. This is what I'm looking for. And, and uh, the first one was in um, chapter 3 to the verse of the church of Sardis. And he says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in a white garment and will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but we, you know, he's looking for us to be without spot or wrinkle. You know, he wants us to be in that betrothal kind of mindset, you know, like the Lord is coming back. You know, we got to make sure that we're cognizant of that. Um, he also speaks to the church of Laodicea, which is the last church, the lukewarm church. And it says in verse 17 of chapter three, it says, because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. You do not know you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counseled you, buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I said, and note your eyes with I said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. You know, I was talking about repentance even within the church. It's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing that we turn back and says, Lord, you know, help me here. You know, I'm, I'm struggling with this and we, we, we get it right with the Lord and keep moving forward. And there's, you know, there's uh, other ones in, in Ephesians, you know, it makes a comparison to the church as the bride. And it says, I'm coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. You know, so we have to be examining ourselves in our walk with the Lord daily. Uh, it says, you know, the thing that's interesting in there, verse um, 10, I fell at his feet to worship him. Do I have a picture of that? See this, you know, Jesus, I believe, you know, talking to his disciples about the marriage supper of the Lamb before he was telling them that, that thing, I'll, I won't drink this cup again with you until I drink it new in the kingdom. Um, John, you know, after receiving this, this is not an accurate picture because I don't believe it was an angel. It was a saint, you know, but he's just falling down and um, worshiping. You know, I had a Jehovah Witness come to my house and they were seeing how Jesus is in God, you know, and I was talking about uh, in, in uh, Colossians, it says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead all things were made through him and for him. Nothing was made that, that he didn't make. And he goes, see, he's the firstborn. He was, he was created. I go, no, he wasn't created. I says, it, it, we're, we're only supposed to worship God, right? And they go, yeah, that's right. I says, did anybody in the Bible ever worship Jesus? And he goes, no. And I was like, what Bible are you reading, man? <laughs> you know? They, they got their own Bible, but it's wrong. You know, we know that Jesus is God and he receives worship and he doesn't rebuke anybody from worshiping him, right? They say he's Michael the Archangel. Yeah, he said he's a created being, and so John, you know, just like you know, just being introduced. All right, uh, we're getting to the second part of this. There's actually two feasts. We have the wedding feast of the Lamb, and then we have the feast that God is preparing for those who have rebelled against Him. And it's it's a feast for the for the carrying of the birds, the unclean birds of the earth, the vultures to come and pick their bones. Man, it's pretty it's pretty grim, man. Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, let me just let me go over verse 10. It says the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's a, I think that's so awesome. 
You know, Jesus' life was prophesied. He prophesied while he was on the earth. And the, we're, we're reading prophecies about his second coming. His whole life is about prophecy. So to ignore prophecy, if Jesus' life is the spirit of prophecy, is not a good thing. In the Bible is one-third prophecy. You know, one-third about uh, him coming back and his first coming. And all of these prophecies have been ap ac accurately fulfilled. So if we read these things and we're seeing what he's saying here, we know that this is going to take place. It's not speculative. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. And as we see things going on, we're seeing it becoming more and more clear. It's coming into focus that this is reality. I mean, it all is reality, but it's coming to a time where it's, it's going to start really coming down. Uh, so the testimony of Jesus is prophecy. Uh, you know, the, when he resurrected from the grave, you remember he came up alongside those guys and they were walking, they were all bummed out. Yeah, to the road to Mass. And, and he took the scriptures from Moses and, and showed them all his interaction with those scriptures. So it's all about Jesus. But there's, there's a scripture in John, I think I wrote it down, that he says, I told you these things in advance so that when it does happen, that you wouldn't be upset, you know? Um, so he, he tells them uh, that I'm in command of, of history. I, it's all, it's my history. You know what I mean? So when he was telling his disciples, I'm going to go to the cross. They're going to, they're going to blaspheme. They're going to beat me, but don't worry. In three days, I'm going to resurrect. And he says, I'm telling you this in advance so that you know that I know what's going on here. There wasn't a mistake. So the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Going on to verse 11, it says, now I saw in heaven open and behold, uh, a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his hat, head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And his armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of the mouth goes a sharp sword that he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh the name written king of kings and lord of lords what a what an amazing thing you know um, so we see this one here you know I'm just imagining this scene here um, is Jesus looking down on earth and he's ready to you know to take command of the earth back. Come on. <laughs> what is going on here? In the name of Jesus. <laughs> this is not an accurate picture. What's wrong with this picture here? He's carrying a sword. He's not carrying a sword. Arrow. What is that? Oh, arrow. 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 Oh, oh it's a bow and arrow. Looks like a sword. It, it has on the caption there, the Lord Jesus second coming in power. That's a picture of the Antichrist, or that's that's a depiction of the Antichrist from chapter um, six in the book. The first one of the seals that is broken is I saw a rider on a white horse, and he had a crown on his head and a, and a bow, and he was white riding a white horse, and he went out to conquer and to con and conquering. This is a confusion for some people. A lot of people are, are equating this white horse at the start as Jesus. But we know that he's riding with also the red, the black, and the, and the chloros, or the green horse. And those are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's not Jesus Christ coming on this horse. He's the false Christ. And that's why he's going to catch a lot of people off guard. Because they don't know the word. And they're going to see a character like this. A Nimrod-like character. Because Nimrod was somebody who was good with a bow also. And he's going to capture the world's attention. And everybody's going to be, this is the guy. And it could even be that it's after the rapture of the church. I know it's going to be after the rapture of the church. And that story goes, oh, they took the, the bad people. We're the good people. They get to stay back here and see this glorious kingdom emerge from this. That's the story that's going to go out. And so this is not Jesus. This is this. Somebody didn't do their homework on that one to have him with a bow. It was a cool picture. And I like the I like the action on that. That's why I picked it. But it's not accurate. Right. Here is the more accurate picture that Jesus is coming back. And he says that actually he has a sword, but it's the sword of his mouth. And in, in uh, Hebrews 12, it says the word of God is quick. It's sharp. It's powerful. It's, 
uh, more sharper than a two-edged sword, you know, divided between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. So it's the word. And he, he don't even have to fight. We're only witnesses to this battle. You know, you, there's a, there was a picture that they had when I was looking for images. Had a picture of him arm wrestling with the devil. I go, that's, that's, come on, man. That's not even a fair fight, man. He comes back and he just speaks the word and these guys are toast. And he tramples on them like grapes, it says. You know, he's coming back with vengeance. He came the first time, he was riding on a donkey, lowly riding on a donkey. He's coming back this time as an avenging king riding on a white horse, yes. and he's triumphing this time, and we're with him. I mean, that's amazing, man. That he, allow, he allows us to be a witness to this, because in Isaiah 63, he says he treads on the, the fierceness of the, the wrath of God alone. We're just spectators with this. We, we just watch him do this, because... Uh, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. We don't have the right to take vengeance on this. We were sinners that just redeemed by his blood. So we're spectators of his majesty and his glory when he takes dominion. Um, Revelation 19, our horses are ready to ride. Get ready, bride. <laughs> so, yes. you know, so white horses, man. You know, we get to ride white horses coming down. I, I just, I, it's amazing, you know, and, and it's, it's not like, oh, it's spiritual. A lot of these images you get, it's real wispy and, you know, it's, it's, it's like, no, this is real. You know, real horses coming down from heaven, riding real horses. You know, it, it's hard to believe, but if he said it, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, right? Right. Here's, a, here's another inaccurate picture, but I like the image itself where you have the armies where the Lord all of a sudden bust into reality. And the armies are like, ah, it's, it's Jesus. And with a word, he just, you know, wipes everybody out. But once again, with the bow, wrong image. He only has a sword. He doesn't have a bow. Um, well, so what did they do there? They try to I don't confuse know. You know, people? It could be. I don't know. I mean, I mean, if you're a student of the Bible, you should. Yeah. This is like basic information right here. That should not be. Um, he should not have a bow in his hand like that. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by the, uh, this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but it's the Lord's. It's God's. Right? <laughs> it to Marshall, I guess we need to learn to ride a horse. Uh, yeah, so We're going to be in heaven. We're just going to know it automatically. <laughs> <laughs> Let me read this um, scripture. It's talking about that. It's Isaiah 63. Um, Isaiah 63, verse 1. Uh, it says this, it says, who is this who comes from Edom? You remember where Edom was from the Bible study? You guys, anybody was paid attention? No? Edom. It says, who is this who comes from Edom? Rock city of Petra. You remember where the Jews are, are laid up over there? Oh. Nobody remember? <laughs> oh, Lord, my students, man. <laughs> Remember chapter twelve, where where the the scripture where the where the antichrist does the abomination that causes desolation, right. and he says, "Get out of town, Let's oh, go into the yeah. wilderness." They head to the mountains. Um, Edom is the rock city fortress of Petra. That's where that 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 secluded place is, right? So when he comes down, he goes to Edom first, where all the Jews are gathered. That's where he goes to. It says, "Who is this who comes from Eden, whose dyed garments from Basra?" Who, uh, uh, the one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I, I speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them with my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments. For I have stained all my robes. For in the day of vengeance in my heart... And in the year of the redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought, myself, brought forth my salvation for me. And in my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk in my fury and brought, their, uh, brought down their strength to the earth. So this is when the Lord comes back at the Valley of Armageddon, which is in Israel. He goes, to, uh, he goes to Edom first, and then he goes over there, and he wipes out these armies that the Antichrist con um, 
convinced. You remember those three unclean frogs that came out of their mouth and they, they lied to the nations of the earth and they gathered all the armies together to try to prevent Jesus from coming back to the earth. They try to prevent him from taking dominion over the earth, which is a really stupid move to try to stop Jesus from taking dominion. And um, that's the Battle of Armageddon. That's the final war. Not the final war, because we're going to see one more after this, but the final war of this particular uh, period of time. Um, okay. Um, verse 17. I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, to all the birds, fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. So we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, but we also have this carnage that's coming. So an angel standing in the sun, calling out to the birds of carrion, you know, like eagles, vultures, all these birds, ravens, unclean birds that eat dead animals, dead flesh, right? And it says, the angel standing in the sun, he says, um, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all the peoples, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw a beast, and the kings of the earth, and the armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. How stupid is that? You know, yeah. I, remember, I remember Chuck Missler saying that uh, here's some pictures of some disgusting looking birds. These are unclean animals as far as the Bible is concerned, vultures. You do not eat the flesh of these animals because they eat carrion. They eat dead things, you know. And so this is what, uh, and I remember even reading something or hearing something back in the day that Israel is in the flight path of migratory animals like this, these vultures. And they were saying that there's really been a buildup and that at one particular time they were thinking, wow, is there a major war coming or something? Because they're all there's, there's tons of these things just kind of hurting around there right, right now. now. Or, yeah, they were saying this at, at one time. And in fact, during the, um, the crisis or the, the uh, corona flu in China, when this thing first busted out, the, the Kung flu, that they said that, man, there was ravens and, and vultures just flying because they can smell death. They were just coming out of nowhere. These birds are just sensitive to that sort of thing. But this is the flesh, you know, they're eating the flesh of all these people that are going to get killed um, I pulled that picture. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was much better. Yeah. <laughs> I went one time and I was And here it is. It says, And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. I couldn't find a really a good image of that, of him getting cast. It was too wimpy looking. So, the false prophet who worked signs in the presence of which he deserved. Uh, deceive those who receive the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. For the first persons that they get cast, Jesus comes over there and just grabs them and tosses them into the into hell, you know, alive. So they're in there. And the two were cast into the, alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which uh, proceeds out of the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And so you imagine that scene, man, coming back. You know, Jesus uh, taking dominion, killing us, you know, just basically taking him out, man, taking out the serpent. This is what it's going to look like when the king comes back to the earth, when he Ooh, takes dominion. He still has a bow. Yeah. Don't ask me, man. It's, it's very, very, I mean, I, I try to find good images. I mean, these are the most kind yeah. of exciting, but it's inaccurate. You know, they shouldn't, you shouldn't be carrying a bow. It's just not right. I don't know if they're trying to push an agenda with that or not, but, uh, so that's it. You know, that's that's the um, the return of Christ, and it's going to go from here. But this is, uh, do we have some questions over there? You want to shut this one down because my thing is. Okay, I'm, all right. Well, thank you guys for watching, and I hope you're blessed by that. And uh, we'll God see bless. you next week. See you next week. <laughs>